Hi everyone, it's Gina and Earth, and you're listening to Unpacked Global Citizens. Every episode, we'll explore the topics of home, community, language, and belonging. Our guests are people like you, who are global citizens from all walks of life, who will take you through their ups and downs and lessons learned. We hope to share with you practical advice and personal insights on what it means to be uprooted and how to make the most of it. So whether you've just settled into your new home, about to make a big move, or thinking of a change, this one's for you. This week, we welcome Emily Bernstein to the podcast. Emily is from the UK and had moved to South Africa and Ghana with her family in her teens. When Emily moved back to the UK for university, instead of feeling completely at ease and comfortable in her home country, she was experiencing reverse culture shock. Emily pursued a graduate degree at Cambridge University in International Development before training and working as a teacher. She's now continuing her academic pursuits and is writing her PhD research on global citizenship education. Comparing the International Baccalaureate, also known as the IB, to A-level programs. Even after moving back to the UK, Emily remains especially close to her friends made in South Africa as they connect over a special bond formed over their shared experiences abroad. These deep connections help to anchor us in our everyday lives, regardless of how far we may be apart physically or geographically. It was great talking to her about the terms third culture kids and global citizenship from the academic perspective, including their history and intricacies. Third culture kids were the pioneers in experiencing and appreciating multiple cultures, but eventually everyone will one day become global citizens. Thank you, Emily, for sharing your story with us. We hope that you enjoy this enriching conversation as much as we did. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for being with us today. It would be great if you could quickly introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, so I'm Emily. I'm currently a PhD student doing global citizenship education as my kind of research field, but I'm also a teacher. Mm-hmm. I taught geography and politics. I'm a mom. I've got two kids, one's two, one's three. And I guess my life, as I kind of talk about it, is I was born in the UK, moved to South Africa when I was a teenager, I was educated in an international school. Uh, then moved up to Ghana, lived there for a while, done some traveling, went back into the UK system for uni and development studies, came as my master's and then became a teacher. So that's me. Great. Where are you currently based? So I'm currently based just south of Leamington's Bar in the UK. So like an hour north of London. Mm-hmm. And so when people ask you where you're from, what do you usually tell them? I guess for me, in some ways, it's easier than other people because I've spent most of my life in the UK. But I would say the UK, if anybody then said, mm. where in the UK, there lies a problem because I've moved so much within the UK as well. <laughs> so it's just the UK. The usual question is, but where in London are you from? And I'm like, I'm not from London. <laughs> <laughs> and how has this experience shaped your professional career or decision, Emily? Well, if I was to tell you at the age of... 16 I was going to be a lawyer and I'm now doing a PhD in education and I'm a teacher (laughs) enormously I think particularly Mm. going to South Africa being exposed to a developing country had a massive impact on me because I Mm -hmm. got to see the very raw edge of the developing world and poverty and how unfair the world is 
in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And going to an international school that was quite isolated as well with relatively wealthy people, Mm -hmm. that made me think, Mm -hmm. well, why is the world like this? So that kind of put me on the trajectory of geography and then international development. And I guess becoming Mm -hmm. a teacher, the focus has always been for me is making sure that there is a diversity of voice in what I teach and inclusivity and understanding that the students that are in front of me have a completely diverse set of experiences, but there's also this other stuff going on in the world. And I think it's really important for me to produce students, that's not the right phrasing, but produce students who care about the world. And that's come from living the life that I have. Yeah, mm, that's, that's beautiful. beautiful. Based on what you mentioned a little bit about the international school that you had gone to was a bit isolated. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? And I think that kind of it's interesting food for thought because when people think of international school they may think of it being super like diverse and all these things but we realize that they come in all shapes and sizes and forms yeah and i think exactly that international schools it really depends on where in the world you are in international school i generally think that Mm. my experience would suggest that those in Europe are more connected to their local community but in the developing world particularly i mean so i went to the american international school of johannesburg At the time, there Mm -hmm. were two IB schools in South Africa. The other one was in Cape Town. That is no longer an IB school. Mm -hmm. So it's the only IB school in South Africa. And our main connection was with, like, the International School of Lusaka and, like, Harare International School in Mozambique and the school in Zambia. And the thing is, is, like, oh, and Angola as well. The thing is that our Mm -hmm. connection was across countries. And actually, we were very – you literally drove down a drive in the middle of nowhere – into this gated area mm-hmm. and really didn't have that much connection with South Africa other than like what I would call tokenism in terms of like we'd have a South African flag we'd have a parade of nations we'd occasionally mm-hmm. talk about South African food but if you step to foot into a history classroom for example they're doing World War One and Two. they're not talking about the Boer Wars that's what I mean. Did you have a moment when you were in school where you felt like wow okay now I feel quite at home here in South Africa for the first time? You know, honestly, I feel like it was a reflective process because I was only there for a short time. I think particularly the first year, I really grappled with changing identity and learning about all these other people that i never come across before. I think it was when I came back to the UK, actually, that I realized who I'd become as a result of that experience and that I was much more in tune with my international friends. Yeah, it was towards the end of the experience slash when I came back to the UK that I really felt, okay, I'm probably at home in South Africa more now. When you came back home, what was the feeling then? Was it a sense of relief to finally be back or was it actually like, you know, you didn't want to come back and you enjoy being overseas? I was really excited to come back to start with because Mm. I thought it was going to be easy. So there's two terms in the academic theory that call it reverse culture Mm -hmm. shock and hidden migrants. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt like Mm. I looked, I sounded British and I had all my Mm -hmm. friends from the UK and I got back and was like, hang on a minute, I have nothing in common with these people anymore. And I was like, this now feels really uncomfortable because I'm now having to renegotiate again who I am and what my identity is. And I feel like, and again, thinking about previous research, is that a lot of the time people do, TCKs do this. They either Mm. drop their TCK identity and integrate back into their society, 
or they feel so uncomfortable that they leave and move somewhere else again. And for me, I felt very uncomfortable and thought, how am I going to negotiate and renegotiate this new identity I've taken on? Hmm. And that's so interesting to hear because I think us and I'm sure the listeners is re- also reflecting like which type do we fall into <laughs> given our own experiences. <laughs> and I think I'd love to hear from you, Emily, because it seems like you have decided to stay in the UK after you moved back. So what that's been like and how did you reconcile with this part of Honestly, you? I don't think I have. I spend my life looking at jobs overseas and international schools overseas. I think the reality mm-hmm. is I've stayed in the UK because I found my husband, I've had my kids, mm-hmm. but that sense of identity, it hasn't gone away. It's never going to go away. And I guess mm-hmm. I found my little vices and my little pockets of where I can be that person. So whether it was doing my international development degree or now it's doing my PhD in global citizenship and I get to engage with it on an academic level and that makes me feel a bit better. Mm-hmm. Or like when I was working as a teacher, I set up Third Culture Kid Club at school. That mm. was about me as much as it was about the other students and the international <laughs> students because it gave us all a little kind of hub, if you like, to talk about these experiences. Yeah. And then I went and did some research at an international school in Switzerland to talk about how those schools and how those teachers help their students integrate. So I guess the long answer is I haven't lost it. (laughs) I'm clinging on to it in little ways. But in a way, it's also great to hear that you have been charting your own path and creating this world in a way that resonates with you and that connects you with like-minded individuals, which is really inspiring. And you mentioned sort of academic points of view and definition. I think you are the our first guest who really has an academic background in this area specifically. So would love to hear what is your definition of a third cultural kid and a global citizen, like personally, and also from the academic points of view. I think I'm really curious. Okay, so I personally would separate TCKs and global citizens because I feel like Mm-hmm. You can be a global citizen and not be a TCK, and you can be a TCK and mm-hmm. not a global citizen. And the reason mm-hmm. being is that, so the term TCK was developed in 1956, so it's quite an old term. I get where it was coming from, so the idea was that you are kind of between two cultures. And so you take a first, you take your second, and you become something new, this new identity, this hybrid identity that's third, that's in between. To me, I think that the term, because the world has changed so much, I actually think the term really, it's evolved. So Mm -hmm. we all live much more transnational lives now. So even those people who have never moved, if I think about students that I used to teach at school, they're engaging with people who have moved, who are constantly in contact with people at home. And so I like to think instead of TCKs, I like to think of like, transnational hybrid identities there's another theory called the transnational capitalist class which again i'm like "Mm, that's assuming a level of kind of elitism wealth etc but there's a whole range of people that are engaging with this and the other problem i have with tck is that it's assuming that culture is static so i spent time in america therefore i understand american culture i spent time in Mm. china therefore i understand chinese culture but those cultures are changing and evolving all of the time Mm-hmm. So I feel like, no, you've experienced a particular culture in a particular time, in a particular context, if that makes sense. So I prefer to talk about transnational hybridity, which comes from Homi Baba. I'm going to say that horrendously, but he talks about hybrid identities. Mm-hmm. And I think that with the TCK, you know, we were just talking about, you can be a TCK and have never left your country. 
the communities that you're involved in can expose you to so many different religions and cultures and histories and traditions and da 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 that you take on some of that naturally. So yes, yeah, so that's TCK. A global citizen is a bit more of a broader term. UNESCO have come up with it, but it's basically somebody who cares about the world, is actively engaged with it, seeks to understand mm-hmm. different perspectives and different knowledges. And then the more active side is work on social justice and making the world a better place for everybody. Sorry, that was really long-winded. No, no, I love it. Just, you know, still reflecting on what you shared. And I think the TCK bit I like a lot around this like other connotation that comes with it that, you know, some people may not realize, but it's so true that you have pointed out. And I like what you mentioned around this idea of like hybrid identity. And I wonder if that is like an alternate term that may be more representative of the realities. And I like that a lot. Yeah. And while you were sharing all those definitions, like things were coming into mind, like, oh, yeah. And then when I experienced that or this, and then I was thinking, well, what about technology? Mm. I mean, you mentioned people don't need to leave their country to become a global citizen in a way, right? Or exposed to their cultures. And now we have technology, internet, TikTok. I'm just thinking of all the Gen Zs around that I when I'm on the bus and all of a sudden they say something in perfect English that they've heard on TikTok. I don't know, celebrating something that like Halloween is massive here, even though there's no history of that at all. I mean, a big one here is, okay, a couple of weeks ago, it was Lunar New Year here. Now, technically, Mm. we don't have any, the UK, what the hell has the UK got to do with it? But people engage with it, you know, and I sat and taught my kids about stuff and we did some history and we did Mm. some activities because I think that exactly that technology has brought us all so much closer and particularly Gen Z are engaging with stuff on a level that when I was 14, I was not doing. They are now doing this day in, day out, which is why it's so great when they're questioning, you know, the deep stuff, they're questioning gender normativity they're questioning heteronormativity Mm. they're questioning racialized discourses why do we think that we're questioning things like decolonizing the curriculum it's because gen z are going hey this is wrong because they're engaging Mm -hmm. with other people around the world and it's our job Mm. it's my job as a teacher to catch up to that i love that that's beautiful oh thanks And building on this, what is the definition of home for you? Do you feel like you're... (laughs) I had a big rant about this when I was doing my undergrad research because Mm. with a geography hat on, a very famous geographer called Doreen Massey wrote a whole thing. Her whole thing was about sense of place and sense of belonging, which links to home. And her whole thing Mm. was that in order to develop a sense of belonging, i.e. sense of home, it needs to be grounded in something geographically. And then Hmm. I was reading this when I was an undergrad thinking, hey, that doesn't make any sense. Because to me, home is about that network, right? That family unit or really, really close friends. To me, that's Mm -hmm. because the geographical surroundings change so quickly that you have to find grounding in something. And I feel like my sense of home comes from my family unit always. What about you? I agree that I think it's a... The people that I'm surrounded with and also a certain degree of comfort. And I was just reflecting this idea of whether it needs to be geographically bound or not, right? Based on the 
academic definition. I mean, made me think that maybe it was more relevant back in the days. And, you know, when we talk about technology and like the ease of connectedness, maybe it's still less relevant. Mm -hmm. But it's also interesting because for me, it's still relevant in a way that like, if I fly like to Thailand, you know, I feel like in the moment of arrival, like I'm like home. At the same time, when I fly back to Paris or coming back to Paris, just getting out of the airport or landing, it also feels like home. Yeah. So there is still a degree of geography. And I wonder if that's linked more to like comfort and familiarity and a bit of feeling of nostalgia. I think really it's more about the people and the experiences that that make it home for me. I think sometimes, right, when somebody asks you that question, you feel like you have to give a geographical answer because if you then went down this whole route, they've switched on off and they've walked onto a conversation. (laughs) So sometimes you just have to give people the answer that they want, right? Yeah. I think for me, it's also very similar, especially since when I go back home to Thailand, my parents don't live in my childhood home Mm -hmm. anymore. And my friends from international school are all over, right? So I don't have that community or that network that was the sense of home when I was growing up. And I've also moved around so much in Switzerland, Mm -hmm. so I guess similar to you, Emily, in that sense. When I first moved here, I never – well, I didn't have a place where I felt at home at. Mm -hmm. So for me, it didn't matter where I lived, Mm -hmm. in which city – And then finally building, I guess, a network and this place Mm -hmm. I call home in Zurich, which is really vibrant, really international, but mix it in with a few local friends as well that I've managed Mm -hmm. to acquire along the way. So I guess it is definitely for me, clearly more people, the people around Mm me than the place. Mm -hmm. Although, (laughs) I mean, Earth knows I'm a big foodie, but maybe it's... (laughs) I don't know, also maybe the experience, because it's very big in Thai culture growing up. It was like, have you eaten yet? When we get together, it's an amazing experience. Not just, you know, all the delicious food, but it's that atmosphere. Yeah, it's kind of like being surrounded by people. It's like that grounding in, like sitting around having a meal. It's like that family experience is your sense Mm -hmm. of home. It's really funny. It just popped into my head, like, when I became a mom, everyone says, it takes a village, it takes a village. So how are you going to live? Because my family, so my in-laws live on the Channel Islands. My parents live in France. How are you going to live? And the funny thing is, is having had this international experience, it made no difference to me because all my best friends are all around the world. And to me, I don't need somebody to physically knock on the door to have a chat with them. I just pick up the phone. You know, mm-hmm. we FaceTime, we WhatsApp, we, you know, that network for me doesn't go away. So it came with it I guess I guess it came into like a sense of clarity again when I became a mom about how important that network is but how that network mm-hmm. doesn't need to be five minutes down the road yeah hmm. and as a mom you know and having this experience does it change how you raise your kids like are they like you know British British or do you already like infuse a bit of your international my house is like a preschool what can I say so I always try and do elements of global citizenship stuff with them so as I said we did some Mm. Lunar New Year stuff it's in the UK at the moment it's LGBT history month so Mm -hmm. each week I'm taking like a theme. So this week we've done arts within LGBT history and we've learned about Frida Kahlo and we've learned about 
can't remember his powering. He was a pop artist from the States. Mm. And I do activities with them and we try and teach stories. So, yes, unfortunately, my kids get exposed to quite a lot. But we do everything. So while we haven't, so my husband is Jewish and I converted to Judaism. So we have Jewish festivals. But mm. because I was born Christian, we also do Christian. But I was like, why stop there? So we do holy, we do all sorts of different things. And I'm trying to engage them with as much different culture as I possibly can. I have a really cool book that's called Love Around the World, which I'm going to use for Valentine's Mm. Day. And it's like expressions of love from different cultures around the world. So yeah, my poor kids get this stuff all day, every day. But that's really cool because I feel like you're really raising them as global citizens, right, from a very young age. And I think this also shows what we discussed about that someone doesn't need to have moved overseas or lived in different places to become a global citizen or to have these kind of experiences. Yeah, you know, we may well move overseas, but I know that I want them Mm. to do the IB, for example. I want them to be in an international Mm. school because for me, it's like, what are we preparing kids for? And to me, Mm. it's important to understand that if we go back to the idea of being a TCK, I think 20, 30 years ago, that was quite a unique experience. I guess what Mm -hmm. I'm saying is that's becoming less unique. And actually, the TCKs are becoming the pioneers for what the rest of society is eventually going to turn into. So my kids are going to work in an environment with people from all around the world that speak Mm -hmm. completely different languages, have completely different worldviews. And my job as their mom Mm. is to prepare them for that, not prepare them to be British citizens that live in the UK and only work with UK people. Because then I'm preparing them for 1957. I'm not preparing them for 2023 (laughs) and beyond, you know? And maybe to dig into that a little bit more, you said that you wanted them to do the IB. Mm -hmm. And I know that you did the IB yourself. Mm-hmm. Earth, you did it as well. Yes. And I know, Emily, you are actually doing your PhD, right? Comparing the IB to the A-level yeah. program. Anything you can share with us at the yeah, moment? Yeah, so that? I'm in the depths of writing up my analysis and discussion now. I guess, like, to give you guys a bit more background, I have been to an A-level state school, an A-level private school, or independent mm-hmm. school an IB independent school and an IB state school. So I'm trying to get a variety of different interpretations and experiences. And I guess the reason I am so pro them doing the IB is that the origins of the IB are really grounded in this idea of global citizenship. I don't know how much you guys know about how the IB was set up and why. But so Kurt Hahn, who you probably know about, because he set up UWC. So Kurt Mm -hmm. Hahn and a couple of others were kind of the pioneers, along with people that worked for the UN, who helped to set up what's now known as Ecolint, but the International School of Geneva. So ISG, UWC, Atlantic College, and then Yokohama International were kind of the first IB schools. The IB itself was set up by Holocaust survivors, amongst other people, Mm. and diplomats. And the idea of the IB was to never repeat what had happened in the Holocaust and to deliberately deliver something that was designed to help understand other people and promote world peace Mm -hmm. and that's the origin that's where the ib comes from and that's what i want for my kids i didn't know that that's amazing yeah it's a really cool program and it's changed over time and it's developed and you can look at all the different bits of ib stuff but that's the core of what it's about and all the other stuff Mm -hmm. you know you guys will know about the ib learner profile and resilience and this and the other they -hmm. all feed into one another because the ib works with unesco and unesco works with the ib and whilst 
it doesn't fund the IB per se because the IB wanted to be an independent entity. The two work together. And so when the UN's sitting there going, well, our agenda is global citizenship for the next 30 years, well, to me, that aligns much more with what the IB are trying to do. Mm -hmm. And what would you say that you found to be the starkest contrast so far between the IB and the A-levels? I think what I found is the way students are learning is the biggest difference. Students are learning to think and to argue and they're also, which I think is really cool, the whole point of the IB is that it's what all the subjects are connected. And I think that's what's special about the IB is that it puts, you're a scientist, but it puts you in the mind of an unappreciates the arts. Mm. And somebody who is a historian equally can do mathematical equations. And a lot of the students that I've spoken to have said, look, I've become better at history because I do maths because it makes me think logically mm -hmm. and my essays are now better. And actually, it speaks to this idea of working together and understanding other perspectives. And I always go back to this thing as if you want to be a doctor, right? If you want to be a doctor mm. in the UK, you might pick chemistry, physics, maths, biology, right? What does a doctor or a GP primarily need to do? They need to be able to engage with people and talk to people and yeah. like work with them <laughs> on a human level, right? And actually, mm -hmm. if you are limiting yourself to one way of knowing then you are not becoming a whole person and i think that's what the ib does for students mm -hmm. it's really great to hear and i think for those that have access to the ib program i think you know that could be mm -hmm. great but i was also thinking that even if they do not or if we're not in the age range yeah. of the ib programs now maybe these learnings that you have shared can also be applied in our everyday life 100%. right about a hundred percent go and pick up a book and actually challenge yourself to read something you wouldn't normally read or from a way of knowing that you wouldn't normally access because you may find it difficult challenging that's the point but what you mm. gain from it and I'm so guilty of this myself I'm like let me pick up Barack Obama's new book but what have I actually learned from that oh I've learned I agree with mm. Barack Obama well but actually what I need to do is engage the other side of the argument, right, to try and understand mm -hmm. where the Trumpites are coming from because that makes us more able to engage with people generally. So, yeah, you don't mm -hmm. need to be 16 to 18 to be doing this stuff. You can do this mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes me think of, in, like, professional context, this idea around being a generalist versus a specialist mm -hmm. or expert. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this can also apply for working professionals mm -hmm. too. Yeah, so being geography, we always get a geographer, mm -hmm. the standard trope for somebody who's in the geography field is jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, you've got fingers in a lot of pies, you can do a lot of things, but you're not particularly specialist at anything. And my argument is, good, <laughs> that's what I want to be. <laughs> and I think that's the thing is like the criticism sometimes with the ideas that, oh, well, it doesn't go in enough depth when you're 17. But do you need that depth when you're 17? You mm. go off and you learn it and you experience it. And I think it's those skills that I was talking about that for me are the lifelong impacts of an IB program that you mm. can easily do yourself. And you also have a very big social impact component to the IB, yeah. right? So volunteering yeah. and all of that. It, you know, I was actually writing about this the other day because one of the schools that I've worked at, I thought this was so interesting. So the IB obviously has creativity action and service as one of its core components. When I did the IB back in the day, you had to do mm. 50 hours of both, of all of them. 
Now you don't have to. The whole other issue. But but this school was doing something that I thought was really interesting. And it was reframing this idea of service learning about, first of all, like responsibility and volunteering. That comes with like a power dynamic, right? Of like, I'm the one that knows what to do and I need to give you charity. And it's my responsibility as the winner in the world to do that. Mm -hmm. And this school was flipping it on its head. They were changing service learning to be reciprocal. So they had a relationship with a school in Ghana. And they were doing like, it was so cool. They were doing like coding competitions and writing code for each other and science competitions and judging each other and learning so much about science in the context of Ghana versus science in the context of the UK. And the whole point of it was that rather than seeing yourself as having to help somebody else, it's about what can I learn from the developing world as well and what can I improve on myself? And I thought that that was really something quite special. Mm, I like that a lot because, yeah. I mean, I've gone through the IB program, had to do like, you know, what we call like social service mm-hmm. as well. And actually from these experiences, like you said, like we learn more like as much or we get more from this experience mm-hmm. than actually maybe what we're able to give at the time as students. Mm-hmm. Right? So really to change the narrative to be more of exchange and learning rather than the more privileged able mm-hmm. giving to the others. Mm-hmm. And I think that works in like real life as well. Mm. In a job, like I really think corporate social responsibility is really important in whatever job you do. But actually, it's about working with communities rather than for communities, if that makes sense. It's giving Mm. those communities Mm. some agency and not having this sense of, as you say, the sense of privilege, because actually the stuff that we're rubbish at, we just assume that we're good at it. In your global citizen journey, Emily, what has been some defining moments or most memorable experience? Uh, loads. The first day at school. Wow, that was a shock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, yeah, the first day in my international school, that was a big shock. It's so funny because I talked to my friends now and they were like, you seemed so grumpy that day. And I'm like, I was so scared. You have no idea. So the first day at school and then stepping foot back into the UK And then I think another defining moment was when I first started teaching and coming across views that I expected we'd moved on from and actually we have not moved on from. And I was really surprised by that. And I think that, again, that mind shift made me realize, well, hang on a minute, we've still got some work to do. Hmm. And as you look back through these moments, like, you know, first day of school, moving back to the UK, first day of teaching, do you see some sort of threat Or is there like, you know, something that you know now looking back that you would go back to tell your younger selves and maybe our listeners who are about to face this defining moments? I would say it's totally scary and unnerving and you are, you feel lost. You feel like, who am I? But I would say embrace it as much as you can, because what you gain on the other side is worth taking the risk is what I would say. Mm -hmm. It's really great. Emily, do you have any questions for us? I mean, we're here to share. I guess thinking about your experiences over time, if you think about the people that helped you in those transitions, I guess, were there any stickout moments that they did that helped you transition and learn that and negotiate that new identity? I think maybe I don't have like the classical background (laughs) because I did go to, I mean, born and raised in Thailand, right? And went to the same international school Mm -hmm. from kindergarten on to 12th Mm -hmm. grade. 
But I think what really stuck with me were a few teachers in the international school who, I mean, to this day, I still have contact with some mm. of them. And they were really formative, not just in academics, but honestly, in helping me to be the person that I am, just like really supportive. And it never felt like, where are they from? Because that's a question I get a lot. Yeah from people because I sound a bit American. Mm-hmm. So they assume that all my teachers were maybe from the mm-hmm. States. You naturally fall into it, right? I have naturally fallen into it more talking to you guys and I can't help it. It's <laughs> the way that it is. And if somebody from South Africa calls me up with a South African accent, suddenly I've got a South African accent. People think that you're doing it literally and you're not. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so I would say we're definitely some teachers mm. who to this day I'm so grateful for because they have really opened my mind Mm. because I was one of the fortunate ones, I guess, to be in the same school for so long. I never had to experience being pulled out of school Mm -hmm. and then plopped into another school Mm -hmm. every two years or however many years. Mm -hmm. So I needed my eyes to be opened as well. And I think they really helped with that and also to become confident in who I am, which is a luxury a lot of people in Thai schools didn't have. And Mm. I guess that's also Earth, why you didn't feel so comfortable anymore after you came back from your stint in the States. And then for me, I guess when I moved to Switzerland, definitely not someone from university. It was very Swiss. It was just like the second year that the international program was running. We were more the guinea pigs than being supported. I would say not much from the professors or the administration, but definitely from my friends So there were a very small group of international students there, and that's where I fit in in the first year before I decided, okay, I need to learn Swiss German and really try my best to integrate. Mm -hmm. And yeah, now I have a group of really close friends who are Swiss from my time at university, and we have completely conflicting experiences of how we first met, Mm -hmm. which is somewhat similar to what you had maybe in your first day of school in South Africa, where I was like listening to them speak in Swiss German. I was like, oh, dang, okay, I do want to get to know them better. They were microwaving their lunch. And the Swiss do, when you study, you bring your own lunch and you microwave stuff. So nothing like with canteens Mm -hmm. that I was used to in the past. Mm -hmm. And so they were all around the microwave chatting, and I said, okay, now you're going to get to know them better. <laughs> Bring and something that, to microwave. And, but, <laughs> and this is the funny thing, right? When you're going to a new environment, you're trying to make friends, and it's like, it's that tiny little thing. How do you explain to somebody that, like, culturally it's different because they have microwave food rather than canteen food? I'm not used to that. It's a yeah. tiny thing, but it's like... It's huge when you first move there. You're like, what? This is so weird. It's like, dang, I don't have anything to microwave with me. So how am I going to start this conversation (laughs) in my really like broken Swiss German? And to this day, they still claim that they thought I spoke perfect Swiss German, that they didn't know until later on how bad my Swiss German was at that Mm -hmm. point. Whereas like, how could you not? Because it was so bad. (laughs) And you are? I think like two main things. I think one is having close friends. And the other thing is having also the support of the teachers or the system. I'm lucky that I am an introvert and I considered myself like shy and used to be very shy. So I was always super nervous moving to a new place. Would I be able to make friends and get to know people? But I think luckily everywhere I had moved to, I always find like two or three closest friends to kind of share experiences and go through that together. And I think it made all the difference having these close friendships nearby. 
you know, we were reflecting about teachers. I also think that I am lucky in a way that the global experiences I have had started with being an exchange student because I was part of an organized program mm-hmm. that recognized that I was different mm-hmm. and I was going to need help to fit in and learn about the culture that I was going into, which was an American culture in Texas at the time. So the schools and the international exchange program would run activities for us. And I think teachers would know that I was different. I was there to learn. So I think there was that recognition, I think, helped because at least people would step out of their way to ask how I was doing, whether everything was fine, and there would be activities. And going to like an international school like UWC, like no one was from where the school was located. So everyone was a foreigner or like an outsider in the beginning. I think also helped. I feel lucky that there was the support of the system. I'm also thinking that how could we then like extend this forward or like how could we make it work as well for people that maybe not like part of an organized program that recognize the difference. Correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like what Mm. both of you are saying is that you need a space to feel appreciated and heard and understood Mm. and that comes from might be artificially creating a group or a space or it might Mm -hmm. just be a teacher that knows how you feel or at least tries Mm. to understand how you feel and I guess I'm just thinking in terms of like workplace I think it's great Mm. in the most recent years that workplaces are now starting to think about staff well-being but I think that there needs to be some kind of space for when they think about their well-being training and the support of their staff that they need to really factor in people that are in new environments and create spaces that you can kind of talk to each other right Mm. and actually making Mm. time in the day to just have a space to go microwave your lunch together, you know? <laughs> I love that because it made me think of, you know, back in my experience, there was a designated person to help mm. me. Not designated, but when I went to Texas, there was a Spanish teacher that was running the exchange program. <laughs> and, you know, Mr. Griffith, he was our go-to person. Yeah. He was taking care of all the exchange students. And in the international school, you do see we would have, like, residence tutor and or like group tutor which is you know like teachers that you know kind of check in on us invite us over for a meal together just so that there are people you know who to go to if you need help and they're in a way kind of like designated to make sure that you have this space like you said emily to feel heard and appreciated i'm just thinking about generally my big thing is that Mm. everyone should be a global citizen and that it's everyone's Mm. responsibility and i think just thinking about school for example a lot of the time the responsibility of being a global citizen is put on geography Mm. history politics teachers social science teachers or tutors Mm. you know pastoral support and like I feel like that's great but if you then go into a chemistry lesson and you're not heard or they're talking about so I was talking to a student and she was doing a lesson on the national trust she was from Singapore national trust in Mm. the UK is a massive thing she'd never heard of it in her life she thought this guy was talking about like financial trust funds and was completely lost the whole lesson and that's what I mean is like I think it's everyone's responsibility, particularly in the school Mm. environment. And it shouldn't just be down to one teacher, a designated person, because every child is different. And you may not want to speak to that person. You may want to speak to somebody else. And they need to feel heard in every space that they're in, as well as having a predetermined space. I'm quite forceful about it because, you know, I can see how important it is. 
I like that a lot. And I love this idea that you shared that maybe TCKs were just the pioneers of global citizens, but like everyone will eventually move there. It also makes me think that in many work offices, for example, that have experience, for example, like you could work for a global company. And if you work in a local office in France or Germany, for example, or in Thailand, right? That's your internal office communication in a local language or in English. And I find that Unfortunately, some are still in the local languages, even though it's not inherently inclusive now, but some had moved to English, right? And maybe, you know, with more awareness, with more recognition, hopefully everyone starts to move there. It's great that some are moving, but so much more to be done and hopefully everyone eventually get there. As you reflect back on your journey, Emily, what are you most proud of and why? Oh, this is going to sound so corny. I'm so glad I followed my heart and I didn't sell my soul to do a job just for the sake of it. South Mm. Africa changed me irrevocably because of the way that I saw people and the injustices in the world. And I have made it my mission to consider and deal with those justices. And I don't care how much or little money I earn. I'm just glad I stuck to that. That's great. And What has been a valuable or expensive lesson that you've had that maybe our listeners can learn from? An expensive lesson is assuming that other people will get it. Particularly coming back to the UK, there was an assumption that my friends in the UK would get it right, and they didn't. And it's not their fault. And it's really difficult Mm -hmm. to take away that judgment and accept it and go, look, I have a different experience now. It's nobody's fault. It's the way that it is. And I'm not saying that it's a better experience. It's just a different experience. And I think Mm -hmm. if we are going to move towards global citizenship, we have to accept everybody. And that includes Mm -hmm. people who are not exposed to other cultures just as much as it is to all the other cultures, if that makes sense. And how did you navigate that? It was tough. It was really tough. I've lost friends along the way. I try my best to see the value in everybody and what they're bringing. And I am not perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, it's hard. And I have lost friends because of it. And so do you try to explain or try to share some of your experiences or what you've seen? It's difficult, right? Not everybody's ready to hear it. And I think sometimes as well, like people who haven't moved, people who haven't traveled, think that when you're talking about it you're boasting about it but you're not you're just sharing your Mm -hmm. experience and that is your life experience but I always Mm -hmm. think that it's better to share and say well I had this experience or this changed me or whatever because that's you being honest with yourself and I guess look I'm probably a bit older than you guys I don't know how much older but I'm a bit older than you guys and I've got to the point now where I'm like take it or leave it you know this is who I am Mm -hmm. this is what I've gone through if you don't like it I'll see you later. There's millions of other people in the world. Yeah. I think we've also (laughs) reached that point as well where, yeah, I think it's important to do what is good for you, right? So healthy Mm -hmm. for you. Your mental health, Mm -hmm. your friends are supposed to be energy giving Mm -hmm. and supportive. And if at some point that's not the case, you need to evaluate. I think, yeah, and it goes back to what you were asking me, Earth, about sense of home, mm-hmm. going back to who your network is, because I know that if I'm having 
trouble understanding or negotiating something, I know who I'm picking the phone up to. And those are the people like one of my best friends, Artie, who lives in Vancouver. One of my other best friends, Isabella, who's all over the place, technically in South Africa, but also in San Francisco. These are the people that I'm picking Mm -hmm. up the phone to and discussing it with because they have shared that experience. I think the hardest thing is coming back to your country and knowing what to do. But I guess for anybody that's listening is don't lose those networks because those networks are going to be with you forever and Mm -hmm. they get it without having to explain it. Yeah, that's, I think, the true feeling of home Mm -hmm. is not having to explain it yeah and this is the thing as well as like again connecting it with my mum friends one of my best friends that I went to Cambridge with Jess she has moved around a lot she's lived in Switzerland she's lived in Africa but I pick up the phone to her and moan about the kids and she's like I get it because she's got a son as well and it's like (laughs) I get it and you don't need to explain you don't need to say anything I get it and it's the same feeling as when you're talking to your international friends about people mm-hmm. that have experienced a similar culture to you. And it's like, we talk about, I've done a lot of stuff at school with like the development of the teenage brain. And it is no coincidence that your most informative years are when you're a teenager. And everybody remembers it in slow-mo, right? And those networks and those friendships that you make, even if you have no friends from school, like it's remembering that. And I would always say, just have that one friend, even if you've got that one friend from school, that one friend from uni who just gets it. They're your network. And I think maybe I just want to say this because sometimes we feel like we are alone, especially when I first moved here (laughs) right after high school. None of my friends were here. (laughs) And I think that sometimes we forget And they're just a quick phone call away. I mean, we're so lucky with the technology that we have at hand now (laughs) that we can connect to those people, to people who just get it, your network. And yeah, I just want to encourage everyone who's feeling lost or alone in that moment to fall back on that, that it's absolutely okay because you're probably not the only one feeling like that. They're probably feeling like that too. Absolutely. And I think... I did it. That's what I did. I fell back on my network. I picked up the phone and I still pick up the phone because those are the people that are going to get you through the hardest times. And then new people come in, but those are the people that really stick with you. Mm. But moving anywhere in country or out of country is hard. It is really hard. And sometimes you get people who think that it's a glamorous lifestyle. Oh, you get to live here for two years and then you get to live here for two years. The psychological and emotional impact of that should never, ever be underestimated. It's enormous. Yeah, so true. It's like this like life you see on Instagram or social yeah. media versus like everything else behind yeah. it. Right? It's not real. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. Say I moved to Southeast Asia and I go to Sinopal in Cambodia for the weekend or I go down here for the weekend. Great. But you're also having to negotiate all of this behind the scenes that nobody really sees. But I guess anybody Mm -hmm. that's doing that needs to understand there is a network out there. And like you guys setting up your Instagram page is exactly that. Is saying, hey, we're here. We get it. We're with you. Don't ever feel like you're alone. And as I said, I feel like TCKs back in the day were the pioneers. But we're going to become the norm. I think we're going to become the norm. 
and we are already becoming the norm because of technology such that actually the ones that are going to become the minority are the people that are not engaging with any other culture and I think it's going to be impossible right how are you going to live in isolation yeah. from from other cultures what you're never going to use social media you're never going to go on TikTok you're never going to watch the news like come on it's impossible and it's sad because it's so enriching oh massively yeah for sure <laughs> I mean uncharted territories right yeah Always. But learning from something that you wouldn't ordinarily engage with makes you grow, right? And that's what I meant when I was talking about, you know, I can pick up Barack Obama's book. Great. But what have I learned from that experience? Not a huge amount. No disrespect to the book. It's a great book. But what I mean is like, (laughs) I need to be engaging with the stuff that I don't naturally gravitate towards because that's what's Mm going to make me more well-rounded and forcing yourself Mm -hmm. into something that's scary as I said pays Mm -hmm. off in the end absolutely I like that and that inspired me to uh, I think I would do one thing that I would normally pick up to do from our conversation Emily because it makes me think that you know I have my things you know like we get all like personal recommendation ads and everything only what I'm into already you know this conversation inspired me to okay I'm gonna try something I wouldn't do mm-hmm. <laughs> pick up a new book or something a new activity yeah I mean we're doing this in the UK right on a slightly more extreme level we're having to engage with stuff and basically some painful history right we're talking about a lot of stuff i do at school is engaging Mm. in the black curriculum and integrating the black curriculum and that means really sitting and thinking about the history of the uk and what we have done to the world and taking some responsibility for that and engaging with that but also making sure that black history isn't just about suffering it's also about all the Mm. amazing stuff that people have done mm. and enriching what our learning to do that, right? But that also means sitting and listening to some uncomfortable truths and going, hey, I got that wrong. Mm-hmm. And lastly, Emily, could you offer a word of advice or some thoughts, food for thought for our listeners who might be going through a transition or had just moved? I think I said in terms of like, just embrace it. It's scary, mm-hmm. but... Only the best things in the world come from the most frightening. I was petrified of having children, and it is the best thing that has ever happened to me. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining us today. Really inspired by your story, and I'm sure that others will find it super helpful and inspiring as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love your perspective on things especially reminding us that it's okay to fall back on our network, on our people, no matter how far they are. No worries. And if anybody wants to talk to me or engage with me, I guess we can kind of give some details. And if anybody wants to engage with the book and academic stuff, I'm happy to do that too. Absolutely. <laughs> we can add that to the show cool. notes. Perfect. Thanks so much, Emily. Thank you Thank so you, Emily. much. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Unpacked Global Citizens with your host, Earth and Gina. We're so happy to have you in our community. If you enjoyed this, share it with your friends. Want to share your experiences with us or wish we would ask a particular question? Find us on Instagram and Twitter at unpacked.globalcitizens.com.